You're listening to the Blind Sports New South Wales podcast. We discuss lifestyle, sports, adventure, and resources for the low vision and blind community throughout the month. Listeners can look forward to giveaways and interactive segments, including interviews with special guests, so be sure to add us on Facebook and Instagram at BlindSportsNSW, and check our website, BlindSportsNSW.com.au, to stay up to date with upcoming podcasts. Matt Formston here, bringing you our podcast on blind sports. Uh, this morning, we're talking with Sam Taylor, who is a two-time Paralympian, um, has represented our country on multiple occasions. Um, and, yeah, just great to have a chat with her at the moment. As Australia is going through COVID-19 and the world's going through COVID-19 and the impact that's having to athletes, um, especially with the postponement of the Paralympic Games for 2020. Um, good, good morning, Sam. How are you going? Hi, I'm very well, thanks. How are you? Very, very good. Um, yeah, so at the moment you're self-isolating at home. How is that different to how you would normal, your lifestyle would normally be with, with full training leading into a Paralympic year? Yeah, it's um, crazy different times now. Um, yeah, so I'm in isolation. Um, usually my week would consist of um, goalball training on court. Um, I usually go to Newcastle and train up there and then I have a session in Sydney. So that's two sessions, at least two sessions a week with my teammates. Um, And then, yeah, I'm usually at um, N-Swiss gym training with my trainer there twice a week and then doing my own gym um, at my local gym here. Um, But, yeah, due to... COVID-19, we're all in isolation, so all of that is all on hold. Um, yep. So that has <laughs> led to my creativity at home. Um, yep. Yeah, all my gym now is all on online support, um, which is, yeah, a little bit different. I'm a people person, so it's a big adjustment. Yeah. So there's obviously a bit of travel there as well. You live in Sydney, um, and so you're travelling up to New... Is that correct? You live in Sydney or...? Yeah, yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I um, live in Sydney and then, yeah, I travel up to Newcastle. Which is um, a couple about... of hours drive? Yeah, so it or takes me... Do you public me... transport or...? Uh, yeah, so I catch a train up to Newcastle. It's a... Oh, it takes me about three and a bit hours to get up there and then I yeah. do my training session with my um, teammate Brody and my assistant coach Simon on the Australian squad and then I come yeah. all the way back home. So it's about How six hours. Six hours around, yeah, six hours travelling yeah. plus, the, how long is the training session? Uh, two hours. <laughs> so that's a full, that's an eight-hour day. Yeah, yeah. So no work on those days because that takes me a full day to get up there. Um, okay. Yeah, and train. Okay, and then you're going, you're going to NSWISH, which for those that don't know, NSWISH is New South Wales Institute of Sport. Um, so you, you go there as well. So you've got a lot of travelling time back in your, in your calendar, but you don't have access to the, the normal training people and and equipment that you would normally have access to. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, I'm a heavily relier on um, public transport, um, but now um, with, yeah, everything going on, I've kind of um, limited catching trains and things just to limit, you know, the possibility of running into people. Um, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of my days now, <laughs> I guess I have more time because <laughs> I'm not train I'm not traveling as much, so I'm yeah. a bit like, oh, what do people do? Um so, yeah, I'm learning little slightly different hobbies, but yeah, I'm still touching base, I guess. Yeah, Skype is the new interaction, so. Okay, cool. 
Um, we'll come back to that. Um, so you're you're legally blind. Can you tell us a bit about your vision and how that um, how that impacts your day to day life? Yeah, certainly. Yeah, certainly. So I was born with ocular albinism and nystagmus, and I was diagnosed when I was six months old. Um, so really, that just I mean, in the theoretically, I have ten percent vision, um, so I'm classified as legally blind. Um, in a day to day basis. Um, yeah, that affects me. I'm, as I mentioned before, I'm heavily reliant on, on public transport and others, um, getting me around because I'm not able to drive. Um, with the albinism that I have, I'm glare sensitive, so, um, I will wear sunglasses outside. Um, so, and then reading, reading font sizes are, are quite different. Um, so I usually need enlarged text, so I can't read a newspaper or, or things like that. Um, so I guess, yeah, day to day, I don't really know any different. Um, yep. so I, I've adapted where I can. Um, but yeah, I do still go through challenges of, you know, I don't drive. So when I go to Woolworths, I have to <laughs> be really strategic in how much I buy, um, because yep. I have to carry it home. Um, yep. so yeah, things like that, I suppose. Um, yeah, just adapt to. Yeah, cool. Awesome. And I saw online that you're, Nickname is Little Girl? <laughs> yeah, um not so much anymore, but um okay. yeah, my yeah, my nickname at Goldball used to be Little Girl. Um okay. I guess as, as people still call me Little Girl, um or LG occasionally. Yeah. So I'm yeah. the smallest on our team, so that's where yeah, that's okay. come from, I'm the shortest. Yeah, I was just thought that was relevant when you were talking about carrying big bags to shopping home on public transport. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I always look like a pack horse. <laughs> Extra training. Yeah, that's it. Okay. So when you grew up, did you were you born you were born with your eye condition? Yes, I was born with my eye condition and I'm one of one of three, so I have two older sisters. So I guess um they're both sighted. Um yeah. and my, my parents are sighted. I'm the only one in my family that has a vision impairment. Um so yeah, I guess growing up I just sort of was encouraged to give everything a go. So sports always been been a an interest of mine and more active than um academic so yeah and are both your sisters the same way are you a sporty family or are you more sporty and they were more academic or is it a bit of a mix um a bit of a mix my family is pretty sporty um my sisters and my mom all played netball um so i spent every saturday when i was younger all day at the netball court um but then I sort of ruined the, <laughs> changed up the tradition of netball in my family and I played soccer. So I started soccer at the age of six. Um, yep. Yeah, so I sort of did that because I found that easier than netball was a bit too fast for my vision yeah. to keep up. So. And you've probably got a bit more sound as well that you could use in, in soccer. Like you can hear the, the ball coming off someone else's foot and then track where it's going to with sound and use a combination of a bit of sight and a bit of sound as well as opposed to netball where it's just silently coming out of somebody's hands. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, and I guess yeah, if I if I lost the ball, you know, with soccer, it's going to be on the ground ninety nine point nine percent of the time, so it's easier yeah. to try and track. Yeah, whereas netball, it's all in the air everywhere. It's a bit more unpredictable. Yeah, yeah, and it's probably more in the sky, which is contrasting with the with a blue background and a white ball as opposed to a white ball travelling along the green grass, which is better contrast to be able to see. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I played ice hockey growing up, and I'm obviously legally blind as well, and it was. The puck makes so that people stay happy to play ice hockey, but the, the puck makes a hell of a lot of noise and it travels over the ice and it's black. It's a black puck on white ice, so it makes it makes it a little yeah. bit easier. Yeah. Yeah. 
Awesome. So, so you played soccer for for a, a while, and you you mentioned that you also played t-ball for a bit. You played t-ball for a season. Yeah, I played. So, because I'm the youngest, I like to um, look up to my sisters. So, my sis, my elder sister played baseball, um, yep. and so I wanted to give it a go. Um, I think my parents were a bit like, mm, I don't know how you go, but anyways, we'll give it a go. Um, so, I played t-ball. Yeah. And um, let's just say that was an interesting experience. Um, yeah. I only played for one season. Um, yeah. I could hit the ball, hit yeah. like because it doesn't move. But um, fielding yeah. was <laughs> yeah. fielding was an interesting thing. But um, I I had my mum there yelling, "It's to your left or it's to your right." So yeah, um, yeah one season was enough for me. <laughs> and have you got more central vision or peripheral vision, or it's um, it's kind of a, a yeah my. Bit of both, yeah. My peripheral yeah. vision isn't um, impacted, um, okay. so yeah, it's just the, the details of things more is sort of shortened. So my range of seeing yeah. is shortened, yeah. yeah. Okay, cool. No, I played t-ball as well for a few seasons, so I was sort of just I was just wondering because I think with with that particular sport, it's probably easier to have peripheral vision than central vision because you can track a wider range of, of the ball if you can see it at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I, yeah. Though. <laughs> my my team just told me to run. They're like, okay, run, and I just run. <laughs> so a lot of a lot of um, verbal communication from my teammates. Yeah, good stuff. So. And and then you found um, goalball. Can you tell us a bit about how you found goalball and, and what your your initial um, introduction was like, and if you if it was a love straight away, or if it, if there was a um, if, if if that grew slowly, or how did that all start for you? Yeah, so my, um, as I mentioned before, yeah, I played soccer for about 13 years. Um, and then it was Sydney 2000 Paralympics. I, um, went with school and I saw goalball for the first time and I was, um, like nine or ten at the time. And I remember I came home and I told my nan about it and I was like, oh my gosh, there's this really cool sport, um, called goalball and it's for people, people who have vision impairment like myself. And, yeah, I'd always played mainstream sports. I was sort of fascinated by it. Um, and then I, I looked into it, but because I was so young, um, where they played goalball was a fair distance from my house. It was like a two-hour drive or something. And my parents were just, you know, they couldn't they couldn't take me there. So it was sort of off the cards for a while. Um, mm-hmm. So I just carried on playing soccer. And then growing up in high school, I had a vision support teacher, and she knew that I always wanted to work with kids with vision impairments. I love kids. Yep. Um, yep. And so she ran into the lady, um, Georgie Kennehan, that was running Goalball for Schools program back then, and that was in 2009. Um, yep. I met up with her and I said to her, I really want to work with kids. And she said, oh, have you ever played Goalball before? And I said, oh, I've seen it, but, you know, I've never played. So she got me to get a few friends together. So I got my, who is now my teammate, Jenny, um, come along and a few of us got together and played goalball um, at Goalball for Schools competition and we won the whole event, um, (laughs) which was really cool. I was like, I've never played, I've only seen it. And, you know, when I was 10, I was like, one day I want to go to the Paralympics and play goalball. And, you know, that was just a thing. I just had this small conversation with my nan. And then, yeah, like, you know, 10 years later, I'm, I was playing it. And then, yeah, Georgie was like, oh, you know, we've got nationals coming up and the New South Wales women te- women's team need a few more players. Like, would you and Jenny be interested? So I was like, all right, cool. Like, we, it was in Melbourne in 2009. So we're like, oh, yeah, we'll go. So we learnt 
from goalball for schools is like the modified version of goalball. So you play with a different lighter ball, um, okay. slightly different rules. And so we had to learn the proper rules and use the proper ball in three months to get ready yeah. for nationals. And yeah, we kind of did that. And then from there, they were like, you know, um, we lost to um, the Queens, um, Queenslanders. They get us all the time. Um, <laughs> but we lost to them. But at that time, the three girls that were playing were the Australian women's team. Um, so we thought that was a pretty cool achievement, you know, to only lose by them. Um, and they'd been they'd been playing for years um, and internationally as well. So And then they invited us into the Aussie squad and... Jenny and I haven't left since, so we've been going on um, 10 years now playing with the Aussie Bells, so yeah, so I kind of fell into it, but it was pretty cool to be like, you know, when I was 10, you know, like 20 years ago, I was like, oh, I really want to go to the Paralympics and play, and you know, I've been playing for 10 years, and I've got two Paralympics under my belt, and we're working towards Tokyo, so that's pretty cool. That's awesome, we'll come back to that in a second. What was it like when you got your first, when you, I mean... For anyone that's not familiar with the process, if for any team sport or for any sport at an Olympic or a Paralympic level, you earn points for you for your country over a certain time, and then you, your country will be told if they've, if they've been selected or if how many individual athletes or teams can go um, to the Paralympics, and they'll tell you your, your national federation, and then they will select the people or the players that go. So until you actually get select, told by your national federation that you're going to the Paralympics, even if you've been on the team for three years, you don't actually know if you're, if you're going to be selected. So when you got that first phone call that you were selected to go to the London Games, what was that like? After obviously you, you had this aspiration as a child to go to the Paralympics and then you achieved that, that goal, and obviously not getting there yet, but being, being selected, what was that like? Yeah, that was really cool. I still remember the phone call. Um, actually, Georgie, who was our coach back then, she called us on Australia Day um, and she, yeah, she was like, you know, have you got all your green and gold on? And I'm thinking, this is a random phone call on Aussie Day. Like, I'm like, oh, no, not yet. She said, well, you know, you better clear your cupboard because, you know, you've been selected to represent Australia at, at London 2012. And that just, it was just so surreal. Um, I was so excited. I still, when I think about things like that, I still get shivers. Um, I guess it's just such an honour and being at that level and knowing that you put all this time and all this effort and a lot of sacrifice, um, you know, to do do sports that you love, but to be able to get a reward like that is just, you know, it's just amazing. So that phone call to say that I'm going, I was like, oh my gosh, like, and it wasn't until I still remember going into London and they gave us our um, suitcase full of all our uniform because you're not yep. allowed to wear your own clothes um, over yep. there. So, um, And I remember our team, the you know, volunteers have spent hours and hours putting together everyone's um, bags together and things and they just give it to you. And most athletes are like, oh, yeah, thanks, and they kind of keep going. But we were just so so proud and so humble for it that we literally took our bags to the side and just opened up everything in our bag and and I think that was a really cool experience to to have with the volunteers so they could see just how much we appreciated their hard work and yeah I think that hit it when we were like wow we've actually made it here and that's awesome so yeah congratulations a lot of people have that aspiration as a child and they don't get there so congratulations to be one of those few people that did that 
Thank you. Yeah, it's very, very, um, I'm very fortunate and I, yeah, definitely don't take those opportunities for granted because I know, yeah, it, it, they're difficult to get to and, and I'm proud to be lucky enough to go. So. Awesome. So, um, so you've been to two now and you're hoping to go to your third this year pending selection. And obviously that event has now been postponed due to the COVID-19 pandemic that's, that's ravaging the world at the moment. Well, how does this, how does that like affect your psychology? Obviously, you 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 train towards the Paralympic year. I know as an athlete myself, you sort of that's your peak year where you really want to be on your game, and you may you may you make sacrifices for that particular year to be to be ready for the Paralympics. So, what's what's it like now having to do another year um, and then, and then having to go through that selection process again? If you if you've already done your trials, you probably have to do them again. How does that affect you psychologically? Yeah, so it is a big mental shift. Um, yeah, I guess, you know, as you mentioned before, we, you know, us as a squad, we've been working together with, yeah, the goal being um, August this year and now it's been pushed back another 12 months. Um, I guess, you know, that, that's where it's really important now that we're all still, you know, although we're all isolated, um, we're still keeping in contact over Skype as a team um, and still... Um, posting up on our social media things and being creative with each other and sharing a lot of um, resources with each other. Um, we do have a team um, psychologist, so yep. Kai, who's been working with us, um, and that's a really big thing. So a lot of us have, um, our squad's been prioritising at the moment, particularly with this shift in, in um, we're across different states. Our team is across different states, so yep. um, you know different states, different restrictions. So we're all trying to yep. adapt to that. Um, and our at the moment, our mental, um, you know, mental state is really our priority. Um, making sure that you're on top of it. If you need days to adjust and take that mental break, because your mental health is just important as your physical health. So yeah, potentially more important. Yeah, that's it. So yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So we we um yeah, we've been talking as a team and putting things in place to really um focus on that because, you know, it's it's affecting everyone and it's affecting everyone at different levels. So just being open and honest with each other and and just supporting each other where we can. Some some teammates have adapted really well. Um and other teammates, you know, we all have our moments as everyone does in, in something that, you know, you can't control it. So it's it's a big adaptation. But yeah, we're all we're all in it together. So I think yeah, mental health with everyone at the moment is a priority. Yeah, for sure. Like that and as an athlete, regardless of whether you're in a team sport or an individual sport, obviously the team extends beyond your your teammates, but your coaches and your, your psychological team and and people that are running your diet and everything else. So it is a, it is a pretty big team, and I think everybody um, in these situations needs to be really trying to connect because you're not having that physical interaction that you normally have. So that that's really key, isn't it, to make sure that you you see that through. Do you, could you maybe make any suggestions for people that aren't athletes and don't have access to those facilities that you have to? What's what's some tips and tricks that you might be able to give them to be able to manage their psychology while they're stuck at home? Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, so I, a lot of the time I'm a writer, so I, I will write down, um, my feelings to be able to get them out of my head. Um, I'm one that will replay the same story or the same emotion in my head for a while. So 
I'll write that out. But also, um, I I just jump on Google and Facebook and social media outlets that people have, um, and just see what's out there. I know with the um, you know, within the blind community, there's a lot of resources now that everyone uh, everyone's doing. Um, you've got yeah, blind sports are doing podcasts like this one that we can listen to and and get tips from other people. Um, Vision Australia are doing. Um, Every so often they're doing podcasts and, and webinars about um, things like learning about technology and, and ways to stay interactive with other people. I I have a schedule with my friends like every Monday night we get together and, and we just catch up about how our week's been or, you know, what's awesome. been happening. So I think it's really important, um, you know, that people take initiative to reach out to people and say, hey, like, you know, let's catch up and, you know, it's a bit different now because you've got to probably schedule it in a little bit more, but I find that's really important to take that time and, and sit down and think about what you need with support and reach out to your family and friends and, you know, webinars or if you're not really sure where to go, reach out to people like Blind Sports, Vision Australia, Guide Dogs, Blind Citizens Australia, all of them, we're all here to help each other and, and keep those communities going. So, you know, no, no one should feel alone in this and although we may be physically alone in our houses, but, you know, our the internet and technology is on our side now and it's best to try and use it as much as possible. So. Yeah, that's a great tip. I know we're all physically disconnected right now, but there's no, that doesn't mean that we have to stay disconnected as humans. We've got lots of technologies on our side to help us stay connected. It's a really key thing for people to keep in mind. So just lastly, one more question. With, with your training, you're obviously, you've got a, a lot of people and a lot of facilities to be able to tell you what to do with your body to get your body ready for your particular sport. How you've had to adapt, is there any quick exercises that you're having to do in your home right now that you're finding really effective that you might be able to share with some people that are, that are listening? I'm sure they'd love to get some tips from someone like yourself around some quick exercises, maybe maybe one or two exercises they can do um, to to help them while they're, staying, while they're stuck at home. Yeah, definitely. So I'm, yeah, I mean, I live in a two bedroom apartment in the city. Um, so I don't have, and I don't own any, <laughs> any gym equipment. Um, so I've had to get really creative. Um, but I found I'm doing lots of little challenges that you do usually anyway. So like, for example, every time I go to the toilet, <laughs> I will do like 10 squats. And my family is doing that as a fun little challenge. So every day, every time you go, just do 10 squats when you finished or, you know, um, to help with my balance um, because goal ball, you play blindfolded. So when I'm brushing my teeth, I will stand on one foot with my eyes closed and see if I can brush my teeth and stand on one foot. So it, it's not too much like, you know, I'm not lifting really heavy or anything but all those little things I've just challenged just everyday functional movements that you do um yeah. I've kind of been yeah sort of adding them on um yeah, your daily routine. yeah definitely definitely because you know keeping active in the gym it shouldn't be a chore so you just yeah pop it in where you can um I was doing watching tv and doing bicep curls with cans of soup the other day just to change awesome. up so kind of having a bit of fun with it but yeah anything that you know anyone can do at home just to keep moving is really important so if I anyone has key, any good it? tips <laughs> send them through <laughs> for sure I think the key is there just keep the body moving um yeah that's great good that you're, that you're being uh you're showing some initiative did you have anything else that you wanted to share with with the, with the blind community while um, just before we close out? 
Um, I just think, you know, like I I know these times are hard and, you know, this social distancing um, thing is quite difficult, particularly, you know, with low vision. Um, I know I've had a few run-ins with people accidentally just because I haven't seen them, but I guess my my message to everyone would be the importance of just reaching out and, and getting support where you need it. Um, you know, we're all in the same boat. We all have low vision and blindness and and exchanging experiences and knowledge with each other, learning tricks of the trade, especially through situations like this, I think is really important for all of us to share with each other. Um, you know, because yeah, no one, no one is alone, and no one should feel alone. And I just think, you know, if you if you're listening and you're a bit lonely, then it's all good to put your hand up and say, hey, let's meet up or reach out to people because people are out there, um, you know, feeling the same. So. I think yeah, it's important that everyone just takes it takes a risk and puts your hand up and say, "Hey, I need help. How did you do this?" And you know, you'll you'll be surprised by how many people may be in the same boat as you. So, awesome, Diane Taylor. Thank you so much for your time. It's really appreciated. No worries. Thank you, Matt. Appreciate it.